what uh let's start with um this everything this we've been going over really about the, is about uh God doing something in man what is is basically what is salvation what creates and causes salvation and and the thing that you constantly see going through here it is that it is a work of God, not a man. The thing I keep seeing here is that we um, what what we're trying to emphasize is that man is way over here. Man has nothing to do with this salvation, other than that he has been acted upon. It is all God. We, we're we're trying to give glory to God for what He has done for us. To us and in us, and and what He will do through us as a result of this. Being saved, um, so I'm going to look at this word. What is regeneration? We call it regeneration. Um, when it comes to salvation of the sinner, there is an active and passive part. When it comes to salvation, as I said before, the active part is God; the passive part is us. And we use the word regeneration. What is needed? In order for us to be saved, we need to be regenerated. And regeneration, you know, and I like words, breaking them down. And uh, so, but I was looking at this word regeneration. It, it is two parts. You got the word re and then generation. And that word re is a, actually a Latin word. It means to, uh, it means simply again or again and again. Sometimes it's used in that, in that sense. Uh, it means, um, it means to, in order of this again to go back to something it means to go back to something. It doesn't mean uh, like uh, when we say do something again and again, do it again. And what it is is God doing something again in us is what it is. Uh, for our purpose, it means to return back to a previous relationship. A relationship lost during Adam's fall in the Garden of Eden, and that is that has been restored by the second Adam through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Then bring us to the second part of the word generate. It simply means to produce or create something. A generator produces electricity, and so um, it means to bring into existence, especially procreate. In, when we're talking about procreation, um, in, th in that sense, it's used to you know bring bring in offspring. And when you think about the word new birth, that's what God is doing. He's we are the offspring of God by virtue of the new birth, which we'll get to here in a minute. Spiritual and in Christianity, it means to return back to a previous relationship through a second birth, and so. Regeneration is God doing, bringing us back again into a relationship with him through the second birth. It's restoring a relationship that was lost. Lost when Adam fell in the Garden of Eden and restored when Jesus succeeded in accomplishing uh, our salvation through his death, burial, and resurrection. Um, the Bible says in Titus 3, 5, it said, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, not because of us, not by our works, not by our righteous works, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration 
and renewal of the Holy Spirit. The watching of regeneration and renewal. We've been renewed by the Holy Spirit. And this is so humbling and it's, so, it's such a blessing that we get to partake in this because of, some, because of God. <coughs> Let me see my next day here. Paul speaks of this regeneration in the sense of, in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. He's been renewed. He's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. The new has come. If a person says, I'm saved, and there's no newness in their life, then the new hasn't come. Something, something should happen. A generator, when it generates electricity, you know something has happened. When we turn the lights on, it generates electricity, the lights come on. When God saves us, the light should come on. Something should happen. And although we are, we're the passive object that God acts upon, once he acts upon us, we should come alive. Like the lights, we should come on. There should be something there. We're no longer passive once God acts upon us. We're now active. Our faith should be an active faith, not a passive faith. Um, passive faith is really religion. It is. It is. They they have activity, but it, it is. It is. Uh, it is not. It, it is passive in the sense that. It doesn't do anything for God. God doesn't want it. He doesn't need it. And they're wasting their time by by doing by by acting out religiously, trying to please God with their faith. Regeneration and conversion brings about the new birth, which is what we want to get into. It brings about the new birth. Nicodemus, when he went to Christ, we, we see that in John chapter 3. He goes to Christ and, and Jesus says, Marvel not that I said unto you, you must be born again. A new birth. How can we how can I be born again? Can I go back into my mother's womb and be rebirthed? Nicodemus said. Jesus said, No, 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 no. Marvel not that I said unto you. You must be born again. There's a the spirit will do something. He will move upon you. He changes us and brings us back. It is a spiritual birth that must takes place, that takes place. The born again speaks of a new Christian spiritual condition as a result of, of being regenerated by the Holy Spirit. Now, once that happens, well, matter of fact, uh, there was a quote in, in the book from Martin Luther. He says, uh, he said, everything is now new to, for him. Nothing seems the same as it did before. Here begins a new outlook on life for the new believer that has been born again. A profound change has taken place. He has been raised spiritually from the dead, from the dead life of unbelief and the burdens of sin. And um, when I... When I read that, I remember I, the burden of sin. I kept thinking of. I don't know if you ever read Pilgrim's Progress. It's a great book. One you should read to your children uh, and for yourself too. But uh, the one thing it starts off. Uh, the Pilgrim starts off before he becomes. His name is changed to Christian. He has this burden on his back. 
And that burden, it represents his sin. He keeps trying different ways to get rid of that, get rid of that burden. And when he finally realizes that it is Christ alone, that he needs Christ, and he turns to Christ in faith, that burden falls off. And when you're saved, when that new birth happens, there should be that burden of sin, that weight that we carry should, should fall off. Uh, once again, I, I recall when I was in the, uh, I was in the boys club when I, when God saved me. And I remember that now I didn't know any of this, you know, I'm a kid growing up in church and hearing different things, but I didn't, didn't connect to any of this, but I'm sitting there. And when I just, I, I remember when she was, she was talking about Adam and Eve and she was talking, she was using the wordless book on, she was using hearts and all that. And when she talked about sin, when she got to that part about when Adam sinned, that our, she said our hearts became dark with sin. And all of a sudden, I felt a weight. And I started thinking about all, I, I'm, it, it, it is weird, I'm a child, I'm 11, 11 years old. And I'm feeling this weight, this burden all of a sudden just got dumped on me. And I said, I'm a sinner, I'm in trouble. And I was thinking about the times me and my brothers would go out stealing at the store. And I was thinking about the times we, we lie and we did whatever we did. And I'm a little, you know, a little kid. I haven't done the sins as a, all the sins I would do as an adult, by the adult age. But those sins were still heavy. And we need that in the world today that God would place a heavy burden on people about their sins. Anyway, the new birth. There are, there are consequences of the new birth is what we want to look at. Consequences of the new birth are we should have a, there should be a saving faith. There should be a, a repentance or I put an evangelical repentance, not just a repentance. It should be a, a, a repentance that evangelizes us, that causes, that causes a change in us. And there should be a growing affection for God's word. If you, if you've been born again. Now, first we're going to get saving faith. What is saving faith? Saving faith is a faith that is produced by the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit that enables the unbelieving sinner to trust only in Christ for salvation, absent of human works for righteousness. And we're going to be hitting this over and over because it's not us, it's not us, it's absence of our work. We've got that, that is very important. It is produced by the, an act of work upon the, once again, the passive sinner. It's by the Holy Spirit upon a passive sinner. Devoid of any of our human, physical, or mental, or religious works of righteousness. You can't mentally pray your way into heaven. You can't physically work your way into heaven. You can't do enough religious works to get yourself in heaven, to make yourself right before God. <clears throat> the passive sinner does nothing to bring about this saving faith as it is the, a gift of God uh, that we saw in Ephesians in Ephesians 2 verse 8 and 9 for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourself it is the gift of God not of works lest any man should boast it is something that God does and by the way if we, if we used our own faith as, as Ephesians said we would boast about it we go about saying, hey, this is what I did, Lord, 
to please you in order to get to heaven. Uh, I remember when when uh, when I was younger, we were in the Baptist church, and we used to go out soul winning and doing things like that. One of the things, uh, one of the things I, I I learned to start saying, I used to <laughs> I used to go out to people, and you know, when you come in the fundamentalist church, you, you gotta hit them hard, and, and you go in there and say, if you die today, would you go? To, do you know if you go to heaven? That's that used to be my opening line. And I remember I was in uh, I was on leave and I was in Knoxville. I, I was visiting another church and went out so went with them. And there was an older older elderly lady. I went to to her house, knocked on the door, and I said that. And she looked at me and she said, "Young man, <laughs> you shouldn't be approaching people like that. That scares people, you know." <laughs> she said, "You got to come up with another way to speak to people instead of hitting them, you know, basically like that." And that that kind of convicted me. She she turned out to be a Christian, so I changed it. I said, yeah, that's true, you know, if you died, you know, so I, so then I started opening up with, if you stood before God and he said, why should I let you come into heaven? What would you tell him? And that makes people not as defensive because contrary, most people believe that they're on their way to heaven. They believe they're good enough to get to heaven. So you just ask them, what have you done? You're, I'm basically asking, what, do you, what are you going to tell God? as to why he should let you into heaven. Now, God is not going to do that, you know, because he already knows who, who's saved or not saved or not. But in that sense of, if you were standing before God, what would you tell him? Would it be, God, I have nothing. Christ alone. I'm here by his grace. No works, nothing by him. But if you start putting stuff, Christ plus this, or I did my Christian duty and I did my works. I did my, I got baptized. I tithed. I attended church every day. I read the word of God. I did all these things to please you. That is boasting. That is something you're trying to uh, impress God with. God is not impressed by works. What's the word of God say? That all our works are like filthy garments. Filthy rags. And that 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 in, in, in that passage there in the Old Testament speaks of the uh, the leprosis, the people with leprosy and the rags that they would wear. They kind of keep their and it's filled pus and all that stuff. That who wants that? That's what our works are before God. So we have nothing to give Him. It rests upon uh, our saving faith is a gift of God, unmerited by human works. It is given by God and enables us to know him. It enables us to know him. So, uh, I hear lost people sometimes. Uh, uh, I was listening to a book, and it was a fiction book and all that, but in the book, uh, it was about this detective doing, trying to solve this crime or whatever, but he, he really... He's kind of he in in the story. He's kind of ambit, he he's kind of trying to figure out does God exist or not exist? You know what's this religious thing about? And he doesn't want to choose a side, but he you know as he goes through the story because it centers around it centers around some religious themes in this in this story. And but the lost people in there, the the person that's antagonistic, and you can tell by the writer, the writer really hates Christians in this book. And he's antagonistic to a Christian. He says, one, one of the things that he points out in there, he says, he did not like Christians because they think they know everything. They're so sure 
that they know God and that they're going to heaven. And he, he thought that was offensive. But the fact of the matter is, we should be sure. I don't... Are you saying, I don't know, I think so, I hope so, I might be. Why should I want that? I want a no-so salvation. I know that I'm saved. I want to tell people that, that you can know that you're a Christian. You can know that you have a right relationship with God. You can know that you're going to heaven because of what Christ has done. That's You can rest on that. It is a it is a nice thing to go rest your head on that that knowledge, knowing that I don't have to do anything. When I fail God, I'm going to heaven. When I please God, I'm going to heaven. No, if I do good works, I'm going to heaven. If I don't do good works, I'm going to heaven because it's nothing to do with me. It's all of Christ. It's all of Christ. You ever see um, uh this, this work is outside of ourselves. It's not a self-generated thing. We don't generate our faith as the world sometimes thinks. We don't, it's not something we self-generate. It is something that God generates within us, as we saw with the word regeneration. When Easter's coming around, and every year, especially in, uh, I see this mostly, you got, and it's done in different parts of the world, but I, the two places I, I kind of focus on is, is in Israel and uh, in the Philippines, every year around Easter, all these people start, they go and they want to recreate Christ's walk to the cross. And you see them flogging themselves or putting crosses on themselves and going. They, and it's, it's like a big festival thing kind of, and everyone trying to show their contrition. And I look at that all the time and say, man, it's, that's a lot of work to do to please God. When I was in the military, I went to Spain and uh, Spain is Catholic. It is Catholic, Catholic, Catholic. And I remember we went to the, uh, I met a Christian brother there and he was taking me through the city, showing me different things. And um, I remember we went to this church. It's a big cathedral, huge place. And you walked up to it people coming in and coming out. Beautiful building. And I remember walking up to it and there was people begging. It reminded me of that in the, in, the, uh, in Acts when Paul and Peter went to the, uh, and they saw the, the guy at the beautiful gate. There was beggars there waiting for money, people coming in and out, bypassing them. And you go in, activities going on. It's so huge. You got priests everywhere doing different things. And you can see people at some places having their babies baptized and sprinkled and, and all that. And you just see activity, 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 activity. Work, 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 work. It's exhausting. What makes Christianity unique? I'm talking about true Christianity. What makes it unique? It is, a, it is unique because it is a religion, can I use that word, that rests not upon the works of men, of its, of its people. It rests solely upon the work of its God, Their cry, our, cry, our Christ. Every other religion, you can't name one, every other religion, even those you got those religions that call themselves Christians, you know, some of the, some of the Catholic things and, and whatever. You got religions that call themselves Christian. They rely upon something to do. 
join the church, do some work, get baptized, do this, do that, go to Mecca, go to, every time it's something you got to do, 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 do some, do, do. It, that's exhausting. No wonder lost people say, I don't want religion because what it is, they've tried it and they can't, <laughs> it's just too much. It's too much. It's what, uh, <laughs> it's what Jesus was getting on the Pharisees about uh, when he was on the Sermon on the Mount is they, you come up with all of this stuff. You said to do this, but God said do this. You said to do this, but God said do that. Just so much. You wait, you laid a burden on these people that you yourself cannot even bear. And that's what we get accused of by Christians and say, hey, you guys talk about being righteous and doing good things and doing good things and you fail all the time. You guys are hypocrites. Well, the church is for hypocrites. That's why we go. The church is for sick people, spiritually sick people. We're spiritually sick people. We need to be careful that we don't give the impression to the world that we are above them, that we're above it all. God saved us, but we still got this flesh that, that pulls us toward the world. We still can succumb to the same things that the world does. My wife and I were talking about that. And I was talking about David. I said, David committed adultery. He, could, he had a man murdered. And then I said, we focus on him sometimes, but you get to Solomon with all his wives. And we, we, with Solomon, we always talk about his wisdom and all his wives. But when you read about Solomon's life, he was sacrificing his kids. He... Some of his wives, because he allowed them to still worship their own gods, the different wives that he had that he got from different countries and whatever. It said that their, that his wives would take his children and sacrifice them to their gods. And we read that. And what we don't realize is some of this is putting babies in fire. Some of this is cutting babies. The blood sacrifices to their gods. Solomon did this. In the word of God, doesn't hide us, our sins in the word of God. He exposes us. But it goes back to, they're my children by grace. Does not mean he doesn't punish us for it. You know, God does, as many as he loves, he rebukes and chastens, he says in Hebrews. But we're not above failure. But when we do fail, we can rest because it's not our faith that is keeping us saved. It's the faith of someone else. And that should encourage us not to want to sin and fail and do all those things. And that's the difference. And so let, let your lost friends know and say, look, I'm just like you. I'm just, I'm just, a, you know, we hear people say this. Only difference between me and you is that you're a sinner and I'm just a saved sinner, but I'm still a sinner. But I have someone here inside of me that can help me walk as close to God as I need to working in me, working, bringing me into that image of Christ, that he, that perfect image he wants me to be. And that really won't end up happening until you get to heaven. Um, Romans chapter 3, verse, I it, verse 27 
So we got that. Romans chapter 3, 27 and 28. And what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded by what kind of law? By law of works? No. But by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Words are boasting, it is excluded. By what law? The law of works? No. But the law of faith. We're justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Now, we got a problem here. Go to the book of James and look at in James chapter 2, verse 18 through 20. It says, But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Are they contradicting to one another? No. No. They're, what, Paul, what Paul is saying and what James is saying are not contradictory. What he's, one is saying is our salvation rests upon the faith of someone else, not works. It rests upon the faith of someone else, not works. So, but James is saying, if that faith without works that has been acted upon you by God, by his grace is in you, if God has activated that faith in you, James is saying there should be a result. There should be some works that are produced, not to get saved, but because you are saved. Once God saves you, you should not be a passive Christian. You should be an active Christian. Active to stay saved? No. Active to try to try to impress God? No. Active because if God is in us and God's spirit is in us, he wants to do righteous things. He God wants, God wants the world to see that I've done something and I've changed them. I've done something in, the, in my children. We should, we should act like the father that birthed us. Your children can grow up and although they're a separate body from you, they carry something with them into life. Some of the habits you have, maybe some of the way you, sometimes the way you look, Sometimes the way you rear your children, you'll find things in their life that they do. I remember, I see that a lot, even still today. I Sometimes I'll do something, I say, hmm, my mom used to do that. And it just comes out naturally because I was around her all the time. I'm her, I'm a, I'm her child. And if we are God's children, we should act like God's children. There should be a reflection of his image in us and in the works we do. But our faith should have some works to it. Or should I say, God's, God that's given us faith should have some works to it after you're saved. And that's very important. Uh, you'll find that the, the Mormons, they really emphasize this, this saving faith. Uh, the book of James and they like their Book of Mormon, but they also connect that Book of James to it a lot. Yeah, the faith. Because if you ask the, if you ask the Mormon, how are you saved? They'll say, I'm saved by faith. But you need to say, define. What do you mean by that? Oh, they'll say, faith without works is dead. 
So you got to ask them that because they'll tell you that they're saved by faith. And you got to be careful about that. And what, as a matter of fact, in the world, they'll say, you have faith. And they mean different things, but one of the things they mean by that, when, it, when the world says to a Christian, you have faith, they're saying you have a blind faith that's, you just believe it because you believe it. It rests upon nothing. Faith must have an object, by the way. You must have an object to you, of, of your faith, but you have no evidence for that faith. You just believe it because you choose to believe it. And that's not, no, 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 that's not Christianity. We don't choose it because we choose to believe it. Or they, they say when you have faith, they talk about your religious works. You show your, your religious works indicate that your faith and your devotion to God. Think about Topol in uh, Fiddler on the Roof. He talks about that. He says, and we, our faith and our devotion to God. He talks about all the works that they do, their traditions indicate their faith in, relation, in, in works toward God. They're not good. They're not, it doesn't work that way. See, I want to do this by now. I'm going to skip that. Okay. Um, in the time, I'm going to try to do this this time to stay together. Let's go to repentance. Before we get there, uh, faith is God's gift and something we manu- we do not manufacture ourselves. It's something that God does, but if that faith is in there, God also, at the moment of regeneration, there is repentance. God gives us, there's a repentance that is accomp- accompanied with it, a repentance of sin. Um, Devin, two weeks ago, when he was, he put that whole list of things, and it's amazing. The more you work, study the word of God, when, you, when God saved you, there's so much. He gave you just that one instance. There's so much that he's, he's given us. He's adopted us into his family. He's, he's given us uh, salvation by grace. He's given us a home in heaven. He's given us everything that we need. And he just, he, he piles up, he, he justifies us. He cleanses us. But one of the things that happened, the twin sister of faith, saving faith is repentance. When the Holy Spirit regenerates and converts spiritual birth, spiritual birth, uh, and spiritually births and grants saving faith, He also grants repentance. Faith and repentance are distinguishable but not inseparable. The one is never found without the other. One will see a radical change of direction in the sinner who comes to Christ. What is repentance? It is. Uh, Metanoa, that's the Greek word, I don't know how to really pronounce that right, but it indicates a change of mind or purpose. It means that the sinner now returns to the God from whom he had departed. It includes a, a reformation, a reversal from one thing to another. You're going in one direction, you go to another direction. There should be repentance. Re, what 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 repentance is not? It is not regret. It is not simple regret and sorrow for shameful deeds. Uh, who's that? Uh, uh, trying to think of that. Judas, Judas Iscariot. I think I had that down here somewhere. 
he had a um, look at Matthew 27, verse 23, 3 and 5. It says, Then when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, Matthew 27, verse 3 through 5, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind. That's his repentance. And the King James said he repented himself and bought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders saying, I have sinned by betraying the innocent blood. They said, what is that to us? See to it yourself. And throwing down the pieces of silver into this temple, he departed and he went and hanged himself. There was a repentance there. This is a regretful repentance. It is a sorrowful repentance. I feel, I'm feeling sorry for something that I've done, a deed that I've done. This is not biblical repentance. This is not the, this is not the repentance that, that accompanies salvation in us. It is not that kind of, it's not just feeling sorry for sin. It is not, um, one guy calls it, an, uh, 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 when the old Puritan preacher called it natural repentance. And he said, true repentance must be distinguished from what he calls natural repentance. All sinners can, from time to time, have a natural sorrow for going against their consciences. This is a long way from true repentance. So it is, it is not, it is when the Holy Spirit regenerates, so he, he, he grants the grace of repentance. This repentance differs from other, other form of, differs from other, every other form of repentance that is that precedes regeneration. It is not remorse. You also have that religious repentance, where uh, you go to the Catholic Church and they got the prayer beads. You've, you've done something wrong. You go to the priest. You sit in the booth, and he says, "Do say, say a certain amount of Hail Marys," and they go through the beads and do it. They got a certain amount of things you can do to show your repentance for sins that you've done and so you can be absolved of those things. Do enough of this. Uh, matter of fact, even, even in the Muslim faith, they have the beads too. You can go through the beads. Go to Mecca. Give something. Help someone. Do something. Uh, uh, a Mormon guy, when I was in, in, in the military, uh, Joe, he used to, his dad was, he told us his dad was an elder in the Mormon church, but... <laughs> He told us that uh, whenever he felt guilty about doing something, he'd come in. We always knew when he did something wrong because he'd come in, he'd come to work and say, "Anyone want a coke?" And he'd go buy people cokes <laughs> and sodas. And uh, one of my friends I went to church with, Foster, used to mess with him all the time and say, "Hey, you Mormons don't drink caffeine, do you?" He said, "No." He said, "Well, why are you buying caffeine for us to drink?" <laughs> you know. So he would always get, he would always get on him about that, but. Um, when some people, when they feel guilty about something, they want to do something about it. But they don't repent, what the Bible calls repentance unto salvation. They, they, they try to cover it by doing some good deed, some good work, religiously or otherwise, or, or just making confession about it, doing something like that. This is not the biblical repentance. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 Verses 8 through 10. 
says, for even if I made you grieve by my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. For I see that the letter grieved you, though only for a while. And as it is, I rejoice not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Whereas the worldly grief, whereas worldly grief produces death. And Paul is saying the godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation. It leads to a change of direction, a change of thought about what you think about sin, what you think about your own sin. You don't try to cover it up. You don't try to justify it in any kind of way. You realize I have failed God. I've done something wrong. You want to you want to you want to see you want to see repentance. Psalm 51 when in David he sinned against Bathsheba. Oh, yeah, he sinned against her too, but sinned against God by sleeping with Bathsheba and committing adultery. And when Nathan the prophet comes to him and tells him that and calls his sin out, David doesn't go hide it. He was trying to do it at first, but when God knew about it, and he sends Nathan the prophet to David and to tell him you did wrong before God. What David does is. <coughs> Is this in Psalm 51? This is his plea to God. As a matter of fact, um, someone go to Psalm chapter 51 for me, please. I don't have that one down here. Could someone read that? The whole thing, or? Yes, just start. I'll, I'll probably stop you so along the way. There's some some of the things that go down to verse five. Read verse one through five. Sure. Uh, <clears throat> have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. And if you continue to read down through there, he is just, you see, he pleads for mercy. He pleads for cleansing. He acknowledges his sin. He recognizes who he sinned against. He acknowledges his sinful condition before God. He's just laying it all out there. He's not trying to cover it up, not trying to whitewash it in any kind of way. In scripture, you said repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And sometimes we, we, we have a thing we call easy believers and we have to be careful that we just don't try to woo people to Christ by saying, come to Christ because he loves you. God loves you. God is love. God, God says, repent and believe the gospel. Repent and believe the gospel. Don't just believe the gospel. Repent 
and believe the gospel. Now, when you're given the gospel, you don't have to use, you may not use the word repentance. You know, you're witnessing someone and you may not use that, but when God does regenerate a person, he brings repentance along with it. It is an awakening to your sinful condition before God. And like I said, when I was in, in, in the boys, I just felt this weight. I'm in trouble. I didn't know what to do with it. It was like God just, just boom, dumped it on me. What am I going to do with this thing? And fortunately, you know, uh, she, she talked about because you're a sinner and even if you had one sin, that one sin could take you to hell. And I just, I began to say, I said, what was wrong with the world is me. It's all, we are sinful people. I didn't say it like that, but that's what I, looking back on, that's what I was feeling. Just wait. I felt dirty. I felt like I was in trouble and I was in trouble before God. What am I going to do? And I didn't feel like I had anything to give him. And she talked about hell and the lake of fire. And I was looking and I thought about that. And I thought, I don't want to go there. And she talked, she talked, she mentioned the holiness of God. And I felt like I couldn't go there because I'm too dirty. And how can I come before him? But when she talked about Christ and that he sacrificed himself for us and he shed his blood for our sins and all this, I saw hope. Or God gave me hope and changed me, brought me to some, and I found a place to rest all of that, give all of that to, over to. God, I'm in trouble. I sinned against you. I deserve to go to hell. I'm unrighteous. I'm unclean. Now, I didn't say all of that as a kid, but that's what I was feeling at the time. And what it was is, I thought that when I she has to stay afterwards. I thought when I prayed afterwards, that's when I got saved. But actually, the regeneration had started before then. It was when God woke me up to my unrighteousness, gave me the grace of faith and repentance toward God and trust in him. I wanted him. God brought me into his family, cleansed me. He did all of this in me. And my life changed. I didn't want to steal anymore. I wanted to pray. I wanted to go, you know, it, it was just... Life was different. Something was different. Was I perfect? No. Something was different in me. And that's what the salvation does. That godly repentance changes you. It changes you. Okay, let me hit this last one. It also, it also brings a, a change this repentance brings a change in our relationship to God's word. When a person's regenerated, born again, saved, converted, all those things, because it all happens at one, one point. One of the things that God gives you too, also, that should be there is a delight in God's word. You should be moving toward it, not away from it. The word of God should mean something to the new believer in Christ. Their reaction to it changes from one, dis, one of disdain and rejection to one of joy and willful acceptance. The word of God is God's holy standard by which we all are measured and judged. Um, let's see if I have that here. James chapter 2. Uh, verse 10 to 13, for whosoever shall keep the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. 
If you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. But judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. God's word is his truth to us. If we're truly repentant, we should agree with God. If God says this is sin, we should agree with God that this thing is sin. We should not whitewash it. I saw this uh, quote of a, a, a homosexual pastor had his collar on and all that and Someone was talking, he was talking about um, being saved and all, and all this, but he was saying that coming out, he was using, I think, I don't know if I told you guys before, but he was using uh, Lazarus coming out of the tomb. And he said that was Jesus getting, allowing Lazarus to come out basically from being gay <laughs> and coming out. Connecting, all, I'm like, how do you even get that? How do you even go there? They twist the scriptures to their own destruction. Jesus said, "We do the, we do different things." A, a Christian doesn't want to do that. Now, can a Christian be taught the wrong thing? Yes, but something in you should have an affinity for the Word of God. Before we were saved, the Word of God was our enemy. We did not like it. We did not want it. We rejected it. I'm moving fast here because of, because of time. But once once we were saved, the a believer a believer should long to obey the word of God. She long to hear it, long to read it. Jesus said, "My sheep hear my voice, and they follow me." We should want the word of God. The Bible tells us to study ourselves, approved a workman. Not to be ashamed. We should desire the sincere, sincere milk of the word. That should be something in us. I remember before I was saved, my friend Chris and I uh, was in Knoxville. In those days, I, I, don't, I can't find that kind of radio that as much. It's still around, but I remember we used to hear these country preachers and everything. We would make fun of it before I was saved. We'd hear it on the radio or something. We'd make fun of it. But I remember after I got saved, I had a different opinion about. It. I would, I was actually drawn toward it. And when I when I was 19, I started working at the Baptist Hospital down in their uh, dietary department. We was doing the service trays. They had tracks on the on the trays, these little track Bible verses. And as we going along, I'd be picking up, reading one, and putting on until they got on me because I was slowing the, slowing the line down. But I'd pick it up and read it, pick it up and read it. And I remember going home. I stayed out this Bible. My mom had a white little white Bible that she had. On the shelf, not open, never used. If you go if in my house, I should have bought it. If you see it now, it is torn apart. And I did that when I was young. I just, I said, what else does God have for me in here? And I just started reading and 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 reading and, reading and, reading and marking. First, I didn't want to mark because I was like, you don't do that to the word of God. <laughs> I learned you can mark in the word. And I was, and so this, I'm not to treat it like an idol, you know, so, that kind of thing. But I wanted the word of God. Do you desire the word of God? It shields us from false doctrine 
and humanistic worldviews. It keeps us on the path of righteousness. It reproves and rebukes us. It, it corrects us. It's a, it is our filter by which we see the world. The Bible should be your worldview. Everyone has one. The world bounces back and forth with different kinds of work, but our, everything that we hear and see and are taught should always be filtered through the word of God. That's why it's important for you to know it. Because someone brings you false doctrine, you say, what does the word of God say about this? And you should, you can know that what, what they say that uh, when they teach people how to find um, counterfeit dollar bills or counterfeit money, they don't show them counterfeit money. They teach them the what the real money looks like. It's, as long as they study and they know what a real dollar bill, $5 bill, $50 bill, and all that looks like, when they see a counterfeit, they know it immediately. And if we read and study the word of God and we know what we believe, when a counterfeit Christ or counterfeit doctrines and all these things come along, we should immediately, oh, that's wrong. That's wrong because God said this. As Jesus told the Pharisee, you have said this, but God said this. And we've got to end there. Um, but just remember, we, this grace, this, what, what we call grace, faith by Spurgeon's book, by faith alone, by, or by grace alone, he wrote a book called By Grace Alone. It is by grace, by faith alone. It is it is a wonderful thing. It is a beautiful thing. But because of it, we get, we receive so much by what another has done. We lost so much by what Adam did. We gained so much by what Christ did. When Adam sinned, we were passive there because what we were in Adam. Potentially, we're in his seed. When Christ succeeded and birthed his, we are birthed in his family. We are now, we can now succeed in him, not in us. We don't fail because we're in Christ. We fail in this life, but we will never fail before him because we are in Christ, just as if we've never sinned. We're justified. Father, we love you. We thank you for this day. We thank you for the cleansing regenerating, converting power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We thank you for the word of God. We thank you for our fellowship. We thank you for the church. We thank you for heaven. We thank you for uh, regeneration, conversion. All the things you've given us, our justification, our adoption. Salvation truly is the gift that keeps on giving. And we look forward to that day when we enjoy it in its fullness when we're with you in heaven. But until that time, we ask, continue to do your work in the hearts of those that do not know Christ as Savior. And in us that do know you as Savior, continue to conform, to conform us into the image of our Christ so, we be, so that we will be good ambassadors for him until he comes. In Christ's name, amen.